In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Betches Media presents... Betches Moms, with hosts Aileen Drexler and Brittany Levine. Get ready to lock yourself in the bathroom or wherever else you hide from your kids because you'll literally never be alone again. Hello and welcome to the Betches Moms podcast. I'm Aileen. And I'm Brittany. And today we are joined by the Speech Sisters, Brooke Dwyer and Bridget Hillsberg to chat about one of the biggest milestones in any child's development, learning how to talk. And also how you guys created online courses to teach parents simple speech secrets. So welcome to the show, Speech Sisters. (laughs) Thank you for having us. We're so excited to be here. We're really excited to have you. Um, I... I recently found you like a couple of months ago, and um, I just found it so interesting that there are just like so many ways to approach things and so many things to learn as parents. So thank you for doing what you do because it's been so helpful. So happy to hear that. (laughs) So before we get into it, we'd love to hear your background and, you know, how you got into, I mean, everybody knows the account, but like Are you guys uh, speech therapists? Yes, please share. Yeah. So we are speech therapists, both of us, and we are actually sisters. um, And we are moms to a total of five kids. I'm Brooke, and I have three. And I am Bridget, and I have two. And we decided to start this whole online journey and help parents help educate parents from the Instagram platform um, and via courses after we ran our private practice for a few years, um, we started that in 2012, and we were doing a lot of parent education, going into homes and working with families who needed support in getting their child talking. And after we had our children and after I had my last, we decided, you know what, we could help more families and not necessarily have to run from house to house, but be able to help families across the globe over you know, the internet. And you happen to do the same thing? Like you had just, it just happened that way? Yeah. So I am older um, and I'm two years older. And so I went to undergrad for education and I was teaching and Bridget went to college for speech. And when she got out of college, she's like, I don't want to do that. I'm going to get this corporate job. And meanwhile, I was teaching and I got really friendly with the speech therapist at my school. And I thought, you know what? I want to do what she does. So I went back to grad school for that. And, and I kept I, telling Bridget, I'm yeah. like, you need to just do it. It's so great. And uh, I drove cross country from Boston to California and was like, I'm just going to go live in Cali and have fun. And Brooke kept being like, go back to grad school for speech therapy. And finally, I listened to my big sister and I, I went back. And in 
that was, you know, I graduated in 2009 and in 2010, Brooke's husband got transferred out to Los Angeles and we were in the same spot. And that's when we decided, you know what, let's have a private practice and let's work together and let's do this. And it's just been kind of an awesome ongoing process and journey since then. That's great. That's that's like really exciting to be able to work with your sister. I wish I could work with my sisters. It's so nice. <laughs> it's fun. Most days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, it could probably get you that like sisterly relationship where you could bicker, but it's probably also really nice because no, there's no, none of that awkwardness there. It's great. As long as, you know, I, I feel like this is Bridget and I'm, I'm more of the, the boss, I guess. So yeah. as long as Brooke, as long as Brooke follows the rules and, and does what I say, <laughs> then we're good. The younger sister is the boss. You yeah. Know? Right. <laughs> of course. Of course. So what are some of the biggest misconceptions that parents have surrounding their kids' speech development? You know, I think a lot of parents just think that, you know, their child will just kind of start talking out of nowhere and they don't really think about what goes into that process and teaching them. And And that it is a process that it, you know, takes time and you don't just have, you know, a three-year-old who wakes up and is speaking in sentences one night. It is a step-by-step process that a child goes through and that parents can really help them and help to support them on that journey just by making very small changes in daily routines that you do every single day with your child. So that I would say that's one. Um, a few other things that we find that many parents do, and we are guilty of doing this ourselves, I would say, because it is it's difficult not to when working with a child. But one thing we we notice is when you're teaching a child to talk, we often say, say ball, right? We preface everything by saying the word say, say mama, say dada. And that oftentimes will deter a child from actually saying a word. Not all the time, but many times what we coach parents to do instead is repeat a word anywhere between three to five times in a fun and unhurried and playful way, and then kind of wait, give your child a little bit of think time and see if they then naturally uh, reply and repeat that word. Another thing too is like, parents are constantly, we all do this, just, you know, questioning our children. Like, what's that? What are you doing? What does the dog say? What is this? And so uh, similar to what Bridget was just talking about, like kind of slowing down and maybe not asking so many questions, but, you know, using more comments and kind of teaching them and modeling the words and showing them as opposed to like constantly quizzing them. Uh What's an example of that? Like what should you be doing instead? So... For example, when we read to our little ones, right, we kind of sit there. Let's say we're reading the book Good Night Moon, and a parent might go, what's that? What's the cow say? Where's the cow? What's he doing? Right? And it's just like bombarding them with question after question after question. And I think we're all guilty of this as parents because we get so excited when our little ones start saying words or when we know that they're receptively understanding things and they're going to point to it. Um, And it's exciting, but it's important that parents are aware that we don't want to bombard them with questions because oftentimes that will, again, deter a child from wanting to interact and we may lose them, they may run away. So instead, Try alternating comments and questions. So if you were reading that book, Good Night Moon, you might say, look, it's a cow. The cow says, moo. 
what's that? And then you point to the moon, right? So you go, comment, comment, and then you give them a question. And then maybe they point to the moon or maybe they say moon. Then go back to the comments so that it's uh-huh. it's more balanced. And slowly like that too. Yes. Slow is key. <laughs> huh. I'm like processing all this because I feel like last night I was reading to my 10-month-old and I was asking so many questions <laughs> of him and expecting him to answer. Yes, <laughs> we do it. It, it, is so, <laughs> it is so typical of parents. And even as a speech and language pathologist, it's hard to – get into the groove of not constantly questioning um, and and kind of reframe and restructure the way we talk to our little ones. So I, I we always like to tell parents and start off by saying we are guilty of this too. And we teach parents not to do this, but we're guilty of it too. Yeah. I'm guilty of it with my own children. I'm guilty of it when I go into therapy. Sometimes I ask too many questions. It's human instinct. It's human nature, but being mindful of it, right? Slowing down, balancing those comments and questions, and just kind of taking that talking pressure off can really go a long way. Right. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. What I love about Shopify is basically how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. I know we use Shopify here at Betches, and honestly, anyone with any kind of business could really benefit from Shopify. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash betches, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash betches now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash betches. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. In your first course, Talk on Track, you help parents better understand their child's wants versus their needs. But what are what are wants versus needs? What does that mean? We often put them kind of together. So actually, like a child's wants and needs are are really what what needs to happen. It comes first. So so our whole thing is we teach functional language before academic language. Okay, so often another kind of misconception from a parent is like. 
oh, my child doesn't really talk, but like knows the ABCs and like can count to 10 and knows all the shapes and colors. And that is great. But if your child can't say hi or bye or mama or more or help, the ABCs are not going to help him get what he wants and needs. Right. And that often will lead to frustration. If a child can't get their wants and needs met, we might see an increase in tantrums or speech-related frustration behaviors. So giving them those words to help get their wants and needs met from a very early age can really, really help decrease not only the child's frustration, but the parent's frustration as well. So in Talk on Track, we teach you know parents how to start that from the very, very, very beginning because it's never too early to start. And we even have a section in there called keywords, and we focus on 45 functional keywords that are all functional and designed to get those needs and wants met. And they're simple words, and they include early developing sounds, so they can be really helpful in in getting a child started. Can you share what some of those like key, like some good ones that you find like really help parents, and like how to teach them that, and also how early? I know you're saying early, but like what what would be an appropriate time? Well, we wanna you wanna start modeling these words from really the time. I mean, you can start from the day you bring your baby home, obviously, and we usually say, you know, in those first three months, you're really figuring out the baby's eating patterns and sleeping patterns. And yes, it's important to talk to your baby, but I would say around three months, they start to really be aware of you and they're watching your mouth move, you know, when you're face to face with them. So you can start it as early as that. Um, And just, you know, just getting in there and, and, and saying those words. So for example, um, words like more, Uh, And this would be probably more geared to an older child who wants more of something because a child, this happens all day long. Mm -hmm. I want more food. I want more playtime. I want more toys, you know, whatever it is. Um, More is is a big one. And for and how you would teach your child to start to learn this word, one of the our biggest things is we say get down on your child's level, get face to face with them so that they can see you. They can see how you're articulating the word and actually producing the sound and show them. And repetition. You need to say it over and over again. We also tell parents to try to combine the word with either an action or a sign or showing the item because that will help bring meaning to the word. So for more, maybe you sign it, like the baby sign, you put your little hands together. Or if you're trying to teach them the word ball, hold the ball up, hold it right next to your face and you're going to repeat that word, (gasps) ball, ball, while you're actually showing the item because then in the baby's mind, you create that neural pathway where they go, oh, okay, mama is seeing ball right now and she's holding this item. That must be a ball. And then receptively, they understand it. And we always say once receptive language, and that's the understanding of language, is solidified, only then can the child begin to say the word. So first they need to understand the word before they'll be able to say the word. On that note, actually, I heard in the past that they learn by like watching your mouth. So like if if you're wearing a mask, they couldn't possibly, or even if you're like you're hiding your face or doing peekaboo, whatever, they couldn't possibly like know how to repeat that. Is that true? There is definitely some truth to that. Um, 
we know from research studies that a lot of language learning starts when a child is like, let's say between six and eight months old, and they are really watching your mouth move. Um, there's a lot of research based on that. So in terms of, you know, mask wearing, I mean, if you are a parent and this hopefully it wasn't happening or isn't happening yeah. wearing a mask all day long. Yes. Like that will impair your child's ability to learn language because they do learn from your, your mouth movements. They also learn in other ways. They, they do learn auditorily so they can hear those sounds still um, and pick it up that way. But it is, yes, there is, there is some truth to that. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard because everything we do as speech language pathologists has to be evidence based. And with the pandemic stuff um, and impact, I mean, we we definitely even in our own private private practice saw an uptick in referrals. Um, But it's hard to say because they're the research is kind of being conducted in real time. So. Right. And it's also difficult to say, okay, it was, it, it's masks that impacted children. Um, it, it, it Maybe that's a, a bit of it, but also could it be being stuck at home yeah. um, during lockdown? Could it be lack of socialization? Could it be right. lack of being around peers? There are so many variables that it's nearly impossible to pinpoint just one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, there can be an impact. So we, we do tell parents, you know, just because... Who knows with masks and what's happening with all of that? Um, I just try to maximize the unmasked time that you have with your child when you are home with them. Right, be, when you're in like, a safe area, positioning. Right, like be be face to face with them. If um, you know if they are exposed to masks at daycare or something like that, maximize that time that you are home unmasked in front of your child because it, it really can be so 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 important. Got it. Yeah. And so at what age should a child start to really, I don't want to say, I guess start talking, but like you're not going to have a baby that's like really talking, but like start to make the proper sounds. Yeah. So first words typically emerge around 12 months. Um, So I think the milestone right now for 12 months is about two words. Um, They say a few words. Yeah, a few words, uh, give or take. Typically, we like to see little ones babbling um, prior to that. So we'll see little ones start babbling like that, da, 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 ba, 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 or da, ba, da, ba, you know, going back and forth with those sounds and playing with their vocalizations anywhere between, you know, four months to nine months. Uh, but that that's a big step that should happen first. We always like to hear our babies be noisy and vocalizing prior to those first words. But first, first words should happen, you know, anywhere around 12 months, give or take. By 18 months, we like to see our little ones having anywhere between 10 to 50 words. And some have more um, or or less, Uh, but the milestone, so what approximately 90% of children can do at 18 months is say at least 10 words. And when, you know, a child turns 24 months and they're turning two years old, the big thing is that we want to see is them combining two words together. So words like, you know, bye mama or more milk, but the range I would say or anywhere between would be anywhere between you know, 50 to gosh, 300 plus words. So it's such a huge range. We have an awesome chart on Instagram and on our website where we use a bell curve just to show that there's a range. It's not an exact number. Every child is different. Every child is unique and exposed to their own journey and um, 
parent experience and all of that. So it really can be anywhere in that range. And if a child isn't meeting milestones, then that's when we always encourage a parent to reach out to a pediatrician, talk to them about that, or just reach out directly to a speech and language pathologist because early intervention is key and we are huge advocates of that, getting support early. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In terms of like, again, how you're the process of teaching them, um, you guys talk about imitation. What does that sound like? And is that different than baby talk? Well, imitation starts actually really early, going back to, you know, when your baby's three, four months old, even earlier than that, and you're, you're face to face with them and you're talking to them, they... Babies have what are called mirror neurons where they're actually able to imitate your facial expressions. So I don't know if you've done this with your own little ones, but, you know, getting in there and just you could just open your mouth like really wide and a little baby will try to imitate that. It is wild, um, but really, really cool. So that is the beginning of imitation. And and that is it, it is so important to start that early on um, because you are going to, imitation actually goes both ways where not only are you wanting your baby to imitate you, but you have to start by imitating them. So when, again, when they're really little and they start making those coos or babbles, you want to imitate them by babbling back and then they'll do it and then you do it. And it's this back and forth pattern, which is really the beginning of language. And that, and that's when it kind of clicks for them where they're like, oh, this is cool. When I do this, you know, mom or dad does it back to me and it will motivate them. And then, you know, as a child is exposed to imitation, which is a pre-linguistic skill that needs to be mastered before actually saying words, um, you're preparing your child so that when it does come time to say words like mama and then you kind of repeat it and you wait and give them that chance when they're ready, they'll understand like, okay, I think mama wants me to make that noise back at her. Mm -hmm. Just one question though about imitation and like early on you're imitating them making like just noises, right? Is that, because I've also like heard that, you know, in all the apps, whatever, they like, you need to just keep talking to them as like an adult, not like put, like not do that like baby thing. Um, So what is the, like, what are the situations in which you do the imitation versus like speaking at them like they're yeah, 45. Yeah. I would say we, you know, we would say don't talk to them like an adult because, okay. you know, that's it. It's, it's over be, their head. It's over their it's head. They're not going to connect with that. Right. It's very, it's complicated. Um, 
We are fans and proponents of baby talk. However, there's certain there's different types of baby talk. The baby talk that we love and that research shows really works is called parent ease, mother ease, um, infant directed speech. It's kind of an exaggerated, like sing songy speaking style where um, you raise your elevate. You know, you're, you kind of elevate you your it? voice. Sure, <laughs> show us an example. <laughs> I see your nose. Where's your nose? Right. Okay. So babies love this. Mm. They they will draw, you know, they'll shift their attention to you. They will keep their attention on you. And it works. There is so much research out there that supports this. The other kind of baby talk that we don't like is like, you know, when you walk around, I say like, you you want a little wawa? You want okay. a little wawa? Yeah, you don't want to do that. No, I want to use, use real sounds yes. and real words. <laughs> correct um, grammar. But correct grammar. Yeah. But so it's it, like staying away from like a copy, like a lisp type of um, yes. speech. Yes. yes. Yeah. Because if you're talking to them in that way, they're going to think that that is the correct way and they're going to try to imitate that. And we don't want that. Right. But um, use that parent ease speaking style, oh. that, that sing song voice i think you know we had five early talkers between the two of us and people were like well it's just because you're the speech sisters and your speech pathologists it's like no it's because we spoke to our children with the intent of building their language from the very very beginning and i also think that that parent ease voice which i think we did yeah. nearly all the time with our babies really 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 can help it does and we have walked into houses of clients of ours you know on a first session and the parents are like my they he's never spoken a word i you know i don't i don't know what to do and we go in there and we're like hi <laughs> and sure enough he goes hi and we're and i mean the parents blown away it's like and you know we'll say well have you ever tried to talk in that way and they're like no like i don't how would i know that you know yeah. and i think for some parents it's not natural and that's okay we try to tell parents you know you don't need to go to target and be like a disney princess walking down the, the down the aisle like you're going to go get the milk you know you don't have to do that but i think that it's important when you are behind closed doors at home and you are teaching language or going through your routines and using some of our tips and strategies with babies you know the specific Specifically, this is like children under 18 months. Um, try to use that higher pitched, exaggerated voice. Like even if you just say, oh, ball, ball, right? And you're just kind of, you don't have to sing it or anything like that. But try try doing it because it can it really works. help. Really help. That's really helpful. Yeah, I'm sure it doesn't like come that easily to everybody. No, it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. And we get that. We are, we're kind of an anomaly. We just go around talking like that all the time, <laughs> sort of naturally. <laughs> I know. And then it's like you're probably, then you're talking to adults and all of a sudden you're talking in a sing-song voice and it's like, exactly. oh, wait, never mind. Yeah, you're exactly. an adult. I think our friends are used to it at this point. <laughs> what do you do if your kids are imitating swear words or language that you might not actually want them to imitate. And like you, cause you were like accidentally saying it around them and then they just don't stop repeating it. I've had this issue. Before. It happens. <laughs> yeah. It happens for sure. Uh, yeah. The best thing to do is ignore it because if you draw attention to it, they're going to do it more and they're going to think it, you know, it's, it's really hard. I mean, you want to laugh so, so badly. I, I there, we have a, an Instagram, like a story or something of, I had Stella, Bridget's daughter when, you know, I was watching them on weekend and, I said, shoot. And I happen to be taking a video of us at the moment. And she goes, shit. 
like that was her way of copying it. And I did not say that word. I said shoot, but she copied it wrong. And then she just kept saying it. And then and she saying kept it. I was like, what it. did you teach my daughter? I know. When you were babysitting and last I night? and so and it's so hard not to laugh because it's funny. All right. But you can't. I mean, you just as best you can. You want to ignore it and divert the situation. Use another word. You know, just. And eventually, if they don't get the reaction, they're going to, you know, they won't do it anymore. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, on that note, you know, people, I'm, all, I'm, I'm just coming with what all the like people always say things, but people are always saying that, you know, kids are listening at all times, like from the earliest age. So, I mean, the swear word thing makes sense. Um, so how much of that is true? Like, can, are they really processing everything that's going on around them? Like, can they really be picking up? the things that you're saying at a very early age or is it definitely yeah i mean that's I mean, why we encourage talking from the beginning um but if you and your husband are having a conversation you know and your 18 month old is kind of playing around you is he going to pick up everything you're saying no. no i mean maybe keyword like thing words that he knows or understands he might tune into um but you're talking fast you're you're using vocabulary that's over his head i mean generally no not in that way right but i think I you're think, still safe to you know <laughs> to but keep if, you, if you have a 6 month old and you're holding a ball and you're saying ball they're going to understand that yeah. so right. it's just a matter of how you're communicating who you're communicating with if you're communicating directly with your child and you're speaking yeah in a slow, unhurried, and we always say simple way, like you want to keep it simple. You don't want to talk to your baby or toddler a mile a minute saying, okay, we got to put your shoes on because we got to go get in the car and mommy needs a coffee because I'm so tired this morning. And it, they're not going to understand any of that. They're just going right. to be checked out like, whoa, right. this is way too much. But if you say, okay, sit down, let's put your shoe on, right. your shoe on as you're doing it, boom, they know exactly what you're saying yeah, at right. that point. And that's how you build language. Is that experience for them? Like if two adults are talking, not meant to to the kid, like to each other, is that experience for that kid sort of like as if you were in a room with two people speaking another language? Is that feel like that? No. Well, it, it would depend on the age of the child and really, and really it is child dependent anyway. It, it, some children pick up language really fast. Some children you could speak a mile a minute and they will get it. Um, um, so it won't, it's not like it's a foreign language. No. I mean, for a three month old. Yeah. Right. You know, yes. for a, maybe even yes. a mm, right. six month, you but know, the 18 month old is going to pick up some words definitely. or even some phrases. And then, you know, you fast forward, I have, uh, my oldest is six years old now. And, you know, we're, we were talking about something this week and, you know, we have a friend whose child is sick and he's like, comes over to me an hour later, who's sick mommy. And like, who's oh. it, you know, like he picked up the whole story. Yeah. So it, over time, yes, they're going to pick up more, even mm -hmm. when you are having an adult conversation. So just kind of like knowing where your child's at. And yeah. um, if you don't want them to hear something, being cognizant of that. One thing that I feel like also like comes up is introducing multiple languages to children. So like, how do you work with bilingual children? And what advice do you give parents who want to teach their kids multiple languages? 
Well, we always say go for it. Um, it is a gift to be able to expose your child and teach your child multiple languages. Uh, research shows that it does not delay language. Um, it does not delay like the you know English language if you're exposing them to others. Sometimes kids can ha- go through a little bit of a silent period if you are introducing more than one language because they do take a little bit longer to process the two. So they might not be as expressive, but they should still be meeting their communication mind milestones. Um, and with us, I mean, we don't wor- we don't physically in person work with too many bilingual children. Um, we do assessments with them if, if we're assessing a child who, let's say they are exposed to both Spanish and English, you want to definitely do the assessment in both languages to determine whether the child actually has a language delay or maybe it's just a language difference. And there's a discrepancy between the two acquisitions of of each language. Um, So there's definitely a a certain way to evaluate. But when it comes to exposing your child to to two two or more languages, go for it. Um, There's many different ways you can go about it. We actually have a blog about this, like six different ways to expose your child to two languages. Um, Mm -hmm. One parent, one language. You can speak one language at home and one language at school. Uh, parents can speak one language, siblings can speak another. Like there's so many different ways to go about it and you have to pick what works best for you and your family. Is there a wrong way? <laughs> um, I, well, I would say that there's less effective ways. Um, so for example, if a parent is, let's just say both parents speak two languages and, you know, they're not, they're they're both speaking both languages, like not 50% of the time, like maybe 30% or seven, it's changing. That would be more difficult for the child to pick it up. Consistency is definitely key mm-hmm. when you're trying to teach your child two languages. You want to stick, you want to pick a way to do it and stick with it. Mm-hmm. So I think, yes, I think if you're not sticking with one thing, that can be confusing to the child. Yeah. Or if, let's say, you know, you have one parent who speaks one language and then one parent who speaks two languages. Um, you, you know, might not, and, and, and let's say it was English and Spanish and Spanish is not, um, their stronger language and not their primary language and that parent's learning it. You probably want to have the parent who's strong in Spanish speaking Mm -hmm. Spanish to the child and the parent uh, who's speaking English stronger speak that because if you start, if you have, you know, patterns and you're trying to acquire the language and you have errors in it, then your child may pick up on that. But like, that's okay if you don't care um, and you're not yeah. trying to get your child to be like perfectly fluent. There's just so many different ways and every every home is different, really. Yeah. It's just for my, my personal experience. My I speak Russian. I don't speak it at home, but my mom does. My dad does. And anytime they come over, they'll start speaking Russian at my daughter and I'm one, and they don't come over every day, so it's kind of like maybe once every, once a week or once every two weeks. Is that causing confusion for her? I mean, it's. I wouldn't say it's causing confusion. I don't know. It, it, you have to it, be consistent with it, like Brooke was saying. So it's if it's just happening like once every couple weeks, she's probably not going to pick it up super quickly. But over time, definitely. Um, she'll pick up. Words. Is it? It might. It. I, I don't. I don't know if she's going to learn it. It's, it. My husband doesn't speak it, so I don't know how helpful it is. It's more so. I'm just worried that it's. Is it hurting her, like English progression? It shouldn't. It if it if it's just you know here and there, it, it yeah. shouldn't hurt it. I'm if 
no, she she should be fine. She's getting enough English probably okay. in other in other ways. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for putting. Yeah, that it's, <laughs> I think it's a it's a great thing to do for your child and a great gift. So do it. Have your parents do that and yeah. and build those words. And you can always, you know, let's say you say the word ball in Russian, like you can always say, yeah, it's a ball. And, yeah. you know, tell her like in, in grandma and or grandma and grandpa, like call it this in, in Russian. You can yeah. explain it too. I can't remember how to say ball in Russian now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember the word. I definitely don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of moving on from that for a little bit, you've worked with so many different children, assuming that they're firstborn, secondborn, thirdborn. Do you see any difference in speech development in, from birth order? Yes, and then no. Yeah. Um, it's like very family dependent. I've, yes. We've worked with so many kids who, you know, the first child has a language delay and the second child's perfectly developing. Or we've worked with many families who the first child was perfectly developing and the second child has a language disorder. So it's really hard to pinpoint, I would say. However, there is recent research showing that um, birth order can have an effect. Um, So there is research out there showing that a second child or a third, right, um, may be a little bit more delayed than the first child. Um, And that would primarily be because the parent isn't spending as much of that one-on-one time building language and building their communication with their child because they have their hands full. They have, you know, more obligations and duties that they're they're, uh, trying to respond to. So another reason for this could be um, a child doesn't have as many opportunities to talk. So if if let's just say it's the third or fourth child in a family, they have older siblings who are maybe giving them everything they need before they even have a chance to to communicate that. Or same thing with the parent, you know, busy parent just quickly give give what they need before they have the opportunity to to, to try to communicate. So both right. both of those, you know, would play into that. Yeah. And further research has actually shown that they say like a cognitively sensitive first child can actually help that situation, that, that situation yeah. and that that make it so that the second child isn't as delayed they can actually make it so that the you know the second child or third child like excels if the child is um, cognitively sensitive so maybe that child understands that you hold the, the object and say ball and they're the type of older sibling that does that but this it's would a have to be a much older sibling right. and not like a two-year-old I mean, older it, could. Sibling. it could be you never know right. True. um but yeah or a, a much older sibling yeah. can really help um use some of those strategies my three and a half year old goes up to my 10 month olds and will be like say ball say ball <laughs> in his face or like whatever he's holding he's like mommy he won't say ball I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> All right, I guess we need to work on that. <laughs> that's so cute. But like, he's the, right? That's what I'm saying, though. Yeah. Like those in those situations, and my oldest was the same way. Like he would go over. Like he even does this with Stella now. He'll hold up letters at the fridge, the magnets, and he'll say, "What letter is this? What letter is this?" And she'll get it wrong. He'll say, "No, this is B." And he repeats it because he sees me doing this. He's a cognitively sensitive child. And it sounds like your son is the same. Even if they don't say it, they're Mm -hmm. trying to help their younger siblings because they're seeing you model that. So it's, it's, you know, a lot of parent modeling too, but it's also behavioral for the child. It just depends on on the child and their personality. Mm -hmm. Right. 
what are your thoughts on screen time and just like watching TV? Does this help um, a speech development or are there instances where it could delay it? We, uh, we actually have a webinar coming up uh, called Solving Screen Time Struggles. It's coming up at the end of this month. And um, so we, we have a lot of feelings about screen time. For us and our family, you know, it's, it's really family dependent. Everybody has to do what works for them. But um, we both gave our children screen time, you know, within limits at the right age. And um, it's about how you do screen time with your child yeah. and how you expose your child to screen time. What uh, programs, right? We always say you want to choose high quality programming that is designed. Yeah. Designed, and interactive. Yeah. Like a Daniel Tiger, something like that, right? It, they That shows absolutely phenomenal. Um or Bluey or something like that. Like those are high quality shows that are, they have a topic and and they really can help build a child's language. We are big advocates of co-viewing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if you want to. So that would be actually sitting down with your child, which I know sometimes is defeats the purpose of like giving your child screen time because it's, it's so you can get things done. Yeah. But even if you do this three or four times initially, that would set them up for more success when they're watching it independently, right? So you sit down and you talk through the show. For example, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, you know, what what happened with Daniel? He got hurt. How do you think he's feeling? Like kind of go through it. Um, and then it will just, it, then down the road when they're watching it on their own, they will have those thoughts that mm-hmm. automatically kind of come into their head and they learn from them. Mm-hmm. If I sit down and co-view a, a show with, um, Stella, let's say right now, um, she likes Bluey. And yesterday, I think they were like jumping on the trampoline. And I had watched that episode with her before. But we'll sometimes take our Bluey characters and we play it out. So it gives me ideas too on what to pretend play with her. And then she's taking some of the words and concepts from the show and she's incorporating them into pr- play. And then that allows the child to then generalize those types of of words and build their vocabulary and their play skills and social skills into real life. So there is a, definitely a certain way to go about it. It's not all screen time is bad. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there saying that parent, you know, if a parent just kind of like puts the child in front of a television all day long and that's what they do or they're on the iPad all day, it, yeah, that is going to negatively, and there's research studies to back this up, negatively right. impact a child's as uh, expressive language development for sure, because they're not getting that one-on-one time. Uh, real life interactions and play are obviously always going to be better. Right. So let's say a parent's concerned about their child's speech development and how it's coming along. What are some recommendations that you could give that parent to give them more confidence in helping their child? Well, we always say we want parents to be aware of communication milestones. This is just a great guide for allowing them to know kind of where their child should be, um, both like how much they should be understanding as well as how much they should be saying. Um, So that's kind of the first thing. And then if a child isn't quite where they should be, we recommend reaching out and getting getting an evaluation. So a parent could reach out to their pediatrician um, to be able to kind of set them up. Or um, most states have an early intervention program for birth to three that is um, either 
paid for by the state or partially paid for. Um, or even insurance covers Sometimes some insurance covers it. So that's a really great option as well. And again, you know, that you kind of go on probably like your state's website and you can find that out or a pediatrician would know. But um, we do feel like early intervention is so important and also just like a parent's instinct. So even if your child is meeting the milestone, but like just barely and you feel like I want, I really want to know what's going on. I feel like there's something not quite right. Follow your gut, get an evaluation. It cannot hurt. Right. I, I think it's important for parents to hear, you know, we've never heard a parent in our experience, say, I am so upset that I moved forward with this so soon and got intervention and therapy started so early. Like, this is awful. Never, never, never. But we've heard so many times a parent say, I wish I would have started this sooner. I I don't know why we waited. So I think that says a a million words right there. Are there like signs though? Because I mean, I'm sure people wait because they're, because like you said, there's a bell curve. So every child is different. So maybe they're waiting for it to come. So when are there signs in which you feel like, okay, now it's time to really intervene? Yeah. When a child's not meeting those milestones, that's why it's so important that parents are familiar with them. We have a free milestone checklist on our link in bio on Instagram. So um, parents can get that and it goes through birth to uh, three years old. Um, So that's a great place to start and just kind of go through that and go in the age range that your child's in. Mm -hmm. Are they meeting those receptive language milestones for understanding language? Are they meeting those expressive language milestones for how they, you know, express and communicate themselves verbally or non-verbally to other communication partners? Um, That is a great place to start. Yeah, I think generally speaking, if a a toddler is not under, doesn't seem to be understanding you, you, you know, if you give them a direction or ask them a question, even if they can't verbally answer, you can still kind of tell if they're understanding or not. That That's a big red flag where, you you know, you want to get an evaluation right away. Also, and then, the number of words. It, the number of words number is huge. Of, yes. So, so if they're not saying, you know, yeah. 10 words at 18 months and they're not saying those 50 words at two years old and yeah. they're not combining those two words at 24 months, then it's it's time to, to get the ball rolling. Yeah. Um, And I think that's why, I mean, I know that's why we created what we've created because we worked with so many parents who were told from pediatricians to wait and see. And it's not that the wait and see is always bad, but what upset us each time was that parents didn't know what to do while they were waiting and seeing. What Um, what are they supposed to do? So they just go home and they resume life as normal and they go through their routines and they don't know what to do. They are not given the tools and that is not okay. So that is why we created our resources so that if a parent is um, told to wait and see, that they can use something like this as their first line of defense. They can use this as well. They're on a six month waiting period for an evaluation, or they can use it while they're waiting the three months until their pediatrician wants to follow up. Now they have tools in their hands. Now they know what to do during each routine during their day when they're feeding and dressing and bath time and all of that. Then let's see if your child made progress. And if not, then yes, it's absolutely time for speech therapy. Okay. Well, I think that gives a lot of parents listening a lot of confidence and, you know, like just, yeah, a lot of really good information. So thank you both so much for joining us today. I learned a lot. (laughs) So much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. This is great. Of course. We appreciate it. 
where can people find your um, courses? Uh, yeah, can you share all of your um, handles? Sure. So our, our website is speechsisters.com and you can find tons of blogs there as well as all of our courses. And then find us on Instagram at Speech Sisters. We have lots of free resources there as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And that is it for today's episode of the Betches Moms podcast. Everyone, please don't forget to rate, review, and follow us on Apple and Spotify and follow Betches Moms on Instagram. Follow the Speech Sisters. Follow me at Aileen. Don't follow Brittany. She doesn't want any followers. And remember, (laughs) there are no rules on this podcast. I'm not like a regular mom. I'm a cool mom, right, Regina? Please stop talking. The Betches Moms podcast is produced by Sean Kilby and Jorge Morales-Pico. Editing by Stacey Wong. Social media by Brittany Levine. Guest booking by Nicole Pellegrino. Be sure to follow us at Betches Moms on Instagram. And send us your emails to moms at betches.com. Betches.